it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. See you tomorrow. Hello, folks. Welcome to Cutlow. I'm Larry Cutlow. All right. Joining migrant crime with George Soros prosecutors. It's a very unhappy combination for family safety and security throughout the country. We've got civil rights attorney Leo Terrell and superstar New York Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. They're going to tell us how to bust up that lethal combination. And then big, big story today. AI chipmaker NVIDIA. It's all about NVIDIA. Their blowout earnings has sparked another massive stock market rally, almost 500 points. Our own Taylor Riggs going to tell us all about it in just a moment. And folks, Joe Biden hates rich people, but in fact, the rich pay all our taxes. He may have known this once, but his faulty memory has failed him again. We'll have Art Laffer and we'll have Kevin Hassett and they'll weigh in. And finally, our enemy China has put together a massive global cyber hacking effort especially aimed at America and its allies. Gordon Chang will come by to talk about that. All right, let's launch right into this. NVIDIA's blowout earnings sent the entire market soaring today. There are the numbers. At one point, it was about 500 points up here to talk about it. Our very own Taylor Riggs, co-host of The Big Money Show, right here on Fox Business. Taylor, um, it's NVIDIA magic, and it's been working for quite a while. I know, so I'm not going to say irrational exuberance, but you could <laughs> say that it yeah. unleashed animal spirits yeah. on this market. It is unbelievable. Do you know of any other $2 trillion company that has doubled its revenue in the last year, that just looked at revenue that jumped 265% in the last quarter? And it is a $2 trillion company. It is unbelievable. Gross margins of 77%. Here's what the CEO had to say. Demand is surging worldwide across companies, industry, and nations. Some of those industries, automotive, financial services, and healthcare. So it is everywhere. And nations like Japan, Canada, and France, the CEO said, are now becoming larger NVIDIA customers. They are now spending at multi-billion dollar levels. So it's hard to get up here and not sound like a Wall Street cheerleader, but this is a stock that had really high expectations. Goldman Sachs said it is the company of the planet to watch. (laughs) And frankly, they blew us all out of the water. All right. They make (laughs) chips that get us to artificial intelligence, dot, 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 dot. What does that mean? Yes. Okay. So they they make CPUs and GPUs. All of those are chips that power AI, which is why this AI boom is so powerful for companies like NVIDIA, which, by the way, they also have pricing power because they are owning it in market share. What it means for you at home, Larry, is if you own like Meta, Amazon, Mm. Google, guess what? All of those companies are desperate to use AI. So those are also now some of NVIDIA's largest customers because they're ordering it. Desperate because they want ultra-high-powered computing capabilities? Is that what this is all about? Yes. Or plug in to sources of information at rates that are faster than anything we ever dreamed possible? Yes, and I think productivity and cost efficiency. So one reason why Meta also in their earnings call blew it out of the water is because it is the year of efficiency. Cost, Mm. lowering costs, narrowing in, being focused, and AI can help you do that if you are more productive and it's cheap to do it. Cheap once you invest all the capital in, but you know what I mean. So NVIDIA is the smartest guys in the room. 
Is that what the story is here? Today, when it goes up 15%, yes, it is. (laughs) And what's crazy, too, Larry, is they've also came out in the last couple weeks and announced companies in which they have invested. And Mm -hmm. all of those companies rallied 15% today because this really is, um, as one expert is putting it, Dan Ives over at Wedbush, the early innings of AI. This is really just the tip of the iceberg. So they're sprinkling stardust over the entire stock market right now. You would- it's affecting sector after sector, if I understand it, because it's the application of this AI-related, rapid, fast, quantum computing, whatever that stuff is called. I tried to learn it in the government. I only got about <laughs> a third of the way. But my point is, yes. you can apply it. You can apply it to farming. You can apply yes. it to manufacturing. Yes. You can apply it to banks and financial yes. services, as well as telecoms and media yes. companies like Google and, and so forth. So Deer uses fair? AI in their tractors, right? Right. Your car, I would argue your car is not a car. It is a chip on four wheels. Yeah, right. So right. all of that, I mean, when they talk about financial services, when they talk about healthcare, I mean, it's in biotech now and the way that they're using all of this robotics and AI in biotech, it's everywhere. So that's it. So we'll stay on the stock market. I own the index. It's in the index, right? It is. It's in the DAP. Well, it's in the S&P and the NASDAQ. Right. That's all. I I had no knowledge of this. I had no foreknowledge of this. I just happened to wake up. NVIDIA, it's in the index. My pal long ago, my pal today, Jimmy Kramer, named his dog NVIDIA. Good for him. He was way (laughs) ahead of the curve. I'll give him a lot of credit. But the reality is probably something like 100 million Americans or maybe more who own IRAs, 401ks, and may own the S&P index or the exchange-traded fund will be benefiting. These are ordinary folks, and their savings are benefiting from the video. 100%. Is that fair? So if you're in the SPY, which is the S&P 500 tracker, the the triple Qs, which just tracks the NASDAQ and all the big tech stocks, um, you have both of those, the S&P and the NASDAQ, at a record high today. So, yes, if you're sitting at home and wondering how to get in on this, you probably are already in within your portfolio, within your 401k. Stay long. Stay long. I some Really, my wife thinks I'm a genius. Not exactly, but I thought I'd throw that in You're close. Taylor Riggs, the best of the best. you got Taylor along with her co-host Brian Brenberg and Jackie DeAngelis on The Big Money Show. That's every day, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Fox Business. Thank you, Taylor. Terrific stuff. All right, now a couple thoughts from me. It's not going to be about NVIDIA. I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Kind of a downer. Joe Biden hates rich people, okay? This does drive me crazy, as you know. He's always attacking them, insulting them, trying to punish them. Of course, raise their taxes. And, of course, he always blames Donald Trump and Republicans for them. Now, ironically... It's Joe Biden's Democratic Party that has become the party of the rich and the elites in places like Silicon Valley and Wall Street, whereas Donald Trump's Republican Party has become the party of middle class, blue collar working folks, A.A.K. the non-rich. Now, we know Mr. Biden is memory impaired, so he can't be expected to remember any facts relying on the class warfare he loves so much. But just take a listen to some of President Biden's anti-rich people rants and screeds over a period of time. Check it out. So the next big battle is going to be whether the very wealthiest among us began and the biggest corporations began to start paying their fair share. We should be reducing the deficit by making sure that the wealthy and large corporations and just pay their fair share. We're going to continue cutting the deficit and cutting subsidies to big pharma and ensuring wealthy and big corporations begin to pay their fair share of federal taxes. All right, there you have it. It's kind of a sad tale. The only problem with Mr. Biden's class warfare screed 
is that it bears no similarity to any known facts, okay? For example, nowadays, according to the National Taxpayers Union, the richest 1% of the American economy, these are folks with earnings of $680,000 and above, they paid 46% of the federal income tax, all right? That's for the latest year, 2021, and the latest IRS statistics of income. So nearly half. By the way, the bottom 50% of all Americans, those people uh, with median income, say 48 grand or less, well, they pay less than 2.5% of the income tax, okay? So you know what's unfair? That is. You know what else is unfair? The top 1% of Americans make 26% of all the income, but they pay nearly half of all the taxes. That is unfair. Now, by the way, for what it's worth, the wealthiest 5% of Americans actually pay two-thirds of all taxes. So every time Joe Biden or his minions start going off about tax uh, unfairness or tax fairness or they attack rich people, just cite these data points. They're the statistics from the IRS. Trust me. Facts. Now, something else that's interesting. Every time the top marginal tax rate has been reduced, successful earners actually wind up paying more in taxes and a bigger share of the taxes. So before Ronald Reagan slashed his tax rates, the top 15 percent of earners paid less than 20 percent of the income tax. Right. This is be the top one percent of earners paid less than 20 percent of the income tax. By the end of the 1980s, with the top tax rate gone from 70 to 30 percent, the wealthiest share of the tax burden went from 17 percent to nearly 40 percent. Lower tax rates, greater payment. They shouldered more of the income tax. Recently, when Donald Trump lowered corporate and individual tax rates, the tax share paid by the wealthiest moved up to nearly 50 percent, as I said earlier. One key reason for this Lower tax rates remove the incentive to shelter income. People don't need tax shelters near as much because their marginal rate is so much lower. So I'll make a final point on this. Massive deficits and debt from Mr. Biden has basically come entirely from higher spending. Tax revenues, even at the lower marginal rates, have been rising for years. Two trillion dollars of revenues in the year 2000. Okay, Uh, probably uh, about four trillion in revenues in 2010 and um, heading towards five trillion in 2020. Last year, revenues were four point eight trillion dollars. Okay, in 2024. The problem is spending. The government spent one point eight trillion in 2000. It spent three and a half trillion in 2010. It spent $6.6 trillion in 2023. Now, I'm going to give a hat tip to the New York Sun's Iris Stoll for these numbers. So here's the thing, kids. Want to stop the government from borrowing nearly 120% of GDP or close to $50 trillion in the next few years? Reduce spending, stupid. Keep tax rates low and grow the economy. And stop blaming rich people because they pay most of the taxes. How about that? Joining me now, Art Laffer, former Reagan economist, Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, 
an author of Taxes Have Consequences. He reportedly knows something about this subject. And then Kevin Hassett, former chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, and Brent R. Nicholas, distinguished fellow in economics at the Hoover Institution and author of The Drift, Stopping America's Slide to Socialism. Um, Arthur, you know, um, I think these numbers are important. I'm not making them up. They're not brand new numbers. Uh, this stuff was reviewed by the uh, Prosperity Hotline newsletter um, last week or the week before. But every time Mr. Biden goes out there and starts yelling about rich people, make it too much, so unfair, the data don't prove that. The data show that lower tax rates wind up having the successful earners pay even more of the tax burden. In fact, you could say if you make a quarter of the income, which they do, you shouldn't have to pay half of all the taxes, but they do. And it just undermines everything Joe Biden says. I grow weary of it, Arthur, so I need a little help here. Boost my spirits. You should. I mean, it's if you look at the book, Taxes Have Consequences, it's been true from the beginning of the tax codes to the present. It's just amazing. I mean, you know, every single time you raise the highest marginal income tax rate, every single time, three things occur. Number one, uh, the economy goes into the doldrums. Number two, tax revenues from the rich go down. And number three, the poor suffer. Every time you lower the highest marginal income tax rate, Larry, the economy outperforms. Not only does it outperform, but tax revenues from the rich go up and the poor, the minorities, the disenfranchised do much better. It's been that way from the beginning of time, and it still is that way. Rich people have the ability to change their location of income, their timing of income, the composition of income, or the volume of income, and they have the ways of doing it. Hiring lawyers, accountants, deferred income specialists, favor grabbers, lobbyists, all of these people. And that's the way the world actually works. I could imagine it working otherwise, but the facts are the facts. And frankly, when you come to this issue, you do not have well, a right to your opinion. Well, that's the this thing. This is not about how you feel. Right. This is about facts, and the facts are exactly that, Larry. I mean, if you have cheap tax rates, low tax rates, you don't need tax shelters, Kevin Hassett. And that's a big part of this. No. You can, we can yeah. talk about growth. Growth plays an integral part in this. But when Arthur did his work a long time ago, not so long ago, and continues to update his work, and he's got this new book out with all this stuff in it, but basically... All right, if my top tax rate goes from 70, where it was actually it was 90 uh, in World War II under FDR, Kennedy took it to 70, Reagan took it to 30, more or less. All right, Trump now bounced up a little bit. Trump took it down from uh, 40 to 37, lowered corporate tax rates. I don't need the shelters. I don't want the shelters, so I'm going to pay more. I'm going to pay more than my fair share. In other words, what these numbers show... The wealthiest people made roughly one quarter of all the income, and they pay one half of the taxes. Now, I don't want to harp on it, but you could say that was unfair. Right. And we cut the corporate revenue or tax rate from 35 to 21 percent and revenue almost doubled. But the thing I want to say, it was such an honor to hear Art talk about yep. this and to show that chart that you showed. And I just want to remind people that Art graduated with a Ph.D. from Stanford, you know, back when I was in elementary school. Sorry, Art. <laughs> and, and then he got tenure younger than anybody at the University of Chicago in the history of that great institution. And he was an incredible data scientist. Mm. And he discovered that this pattern is in the data.
And the, and the thing, though, that I want to remind people, though, is, as you see Biden in denial, that just after Art did that, the left in America went on assault against him, trying to destroy his reputation, to undermine his success, which, of course, they couldn't do. But it was so bad that Paul Samuelson, Larry Summers' uncle, gave a lecture at the University of Chicago why we're laughing at Laffer, even while mm. Art was just a young kid. Right. And so the point is that these facts that we're talking about are profoundly dangerous to people on the left, and we need to think about why. Like, Art, you've spent your career being attacked for just showing people the data. Like, what do you think they're up to? What are they thinking? I don't know. Uh, I, can't, I can't picture it. Yeah, we've lost Art technically. We may get him back or we may, may not get him back, but you're very kind, okay. Kevin Hassett. You're very kind. Uh, to point all that out. Arthur was right. I mean, look, we made the same arguments. You and I have made the same arguments in the Trump years uh, using the corporate tax rate, which was something you pioneered, that the biggest beneficiaries of a lower business corporate tax rate, the biggest beneficiaries were not the richest people. They actually were the middle class, blue collar working folks. And you went through it, that the consumer prices uh, went down and the stock market went up, but the biggest beneficiaries were the blue-collar workers. And for basically 15 years or so, uh, people in the economics profession tried to ridicule you. They were wrong. You were exactly right. The principle is the same. Lower tax rate, yes, it creates incentives. You don't hunger for tax shelters. You don't try to escape your responsibility. Kevin, you know what it is? It's everything Biden won't admit. It's just cheap, cheap nickel and dime class warfare rhetoric. They don't use a single factoid. And I don't know if you saw that. Even the New York Times, Kevin Hassett, did a piece a couple days ago debunking a lot of um, Joe Biden's arguments on taxes and wealthy people. They, they completely debunked it, a point that we've been making. You know, there is no unrealized uh, capital gains tax, so you can't add that income to their burden, and they didn't escape anything. Even the New York Times had right. to debunk Biden. So truth-telling, Kevin, is a very important asset, and it's going to come up in this election campaign, I would guess. What do you think? Yeah, they're going to uh, try to raise tax rates, and the point is that that's going to lower revenue, and it's going to make low-income people worse off. And, and the thing is that they have to know that that's what's going on. And so the problem is that they've got, you know, a bunch of people voting for them that fall into the trap of believing that rhetoric. And even though they get walloped by it over and over again, but in economic history, they somehow keep voting for these yeah. guys. And I think it's a real challenge. And, it, and it's probably it could be related to the fact that the left controls academic institutions. And mm -hmm. so they're teaching our kids things that just don't make any sense. Spot on. Kevin has it. Thanks very much. I'm sorry we lost Arthur, but thanks for Arthur. All his work down through the years. Coming up here on Cudlow, you know what, folks? Joining migrant crime with George Soros prosecutors. Very dangerous and unhappy combination for family safety and security around the country. So we've got civil rights attorney Leo Terrell and Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. They're going to tell us how to bust up that lethal combination. Remember, folks, you can catch Cudlow Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. We are truth tellers. We are fact users right here on Fox Business. Can't get us at four. Just text your favorite nine-year-old and she'll show you how to DVR the show. And you will know that supply-side economics work. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
All right, Joe Biden reportedly thinking about using executive actions, believe it or not, on the border. Fox News White House correspondent Peter Ducey has the latest. Peter, what are they cooking up? Uh, Larry, we are here every day, and we have been led to believe over the last couple of years that not only had President Biden done everything that he could without Congress, but also that he's already done a historic amount. He has done more than any prior, re prior president to secure the border and build a safe, orderly, and humane immigration system. And that's what the president has been able to do. Now the line from the White House is no executive action, no matter how aggressive, can deliver the significant policy reforms and additional resources Congress can provide and that Republicans rejected. And that has Speaker Johnson saying Americans have lost faith in this president and won't be fooled by election year gimmicks that don't actually secure the border, nor will they forget that the president created this catastrophe and until now has refused to use his executive power to fix it. So what we understand is that the policies being considered would apparently make it impossible for anybody at the border to claim asylum for any reason unless they are at a port of entry. It sounds familiar to AOC, who tweets this, Doing Trump impressions isn't how we beat Trump. She goes on, the mere suggestion is outrageous and the president should refuse to sign it. That's as Republicans start to argue these executive orders are not new. He's got, he's got all the power he needs. When Donald Trump was president, the border was secure. Joe Biden made the decision through executive orders, through illegal acts, to open the border. President Biden is still out in San Francisco making money for the campaign. He talked for about a minute today about Alexei Navalny's death, and that was it. None of this, Larry. It's a mystery. Peter Ducey, thanks ever so much for your reporting. It's all a mystery. All right, folks, um, let's move right ahead. We want to try to bust up this lethal combination. We got migrant crime on the one hand, coupled with, wait for it, George Soros prosecutors on the other. Bad. Joining us now, New York Congresswoman Claudia Tenney and Leo Terrell, Fox News contributor and civil rights uh, lawyer. Leo, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for doing this. Leo, I, just, I, want to, I want to get Claudia to try to tell us what Biden's going to do on the border, a.k.a. probably not much. But I want to start with this, the George Soros thing. It's like a, so you take migrant crime, as uh, Mr. Trump put it the other night uh, in his town hall, and on top of that, you have George Soros prosecutors who do just about everything but prosecute crime. They don't. It's like we have crime-free zones because they don't prosecute it. And this uh, district attorney in Arizona, well, she's refused extradition to New York because the violent uh, suspects will never be prosecuted in New York. So how is this possible? George Soros and all of his minions are out there saying nobody's committed any crimes, and yet any poor soul in the streets can tell you how much worse it has become. You addressing that to me? No, I was addressing that to Leo. Leo's the guy hard on the oh, George I, Soros oh, I'm story. I'm sorry. I thought, I, thought was, I, thought, I thought it was a Claudia. Let me tell you right now, Larry, you're looking at the reason why they won't go after migrant crime is very simple. That's their voting block. That's their new voting block. These are Democrats who do not believe in law and order. George Soros believes on soft on crime prosecutor. That district attorney in Arizona is blocking extradition. You know why? Because she knows that guy will be released in New York. Sanctuary cities are being hit hardest by migrant crime. And guess what? People of color are now upset in Chicago, Philadelphia, and New York. And what's happening? They're going to do abandon the Democratic Party. They're going to probably vote for Trump, which I hope they do. But the problem is 
the voting block of migrant crime, those are potential voters for the Democrat Party in the future. What about, did you hear, do we have the sound, I want to ask producers, we have the sound of Trump talking about migrant crime, defining migrant crime. Yeah, we're going to play that. Both of you take a listen to this. This is from uh, Laura Ingram's town hall. There's crime, there's violent crime, there's migrant crime. We have a new category of crime. It's called migrant crime. And it's going to be worse than any other form of crime. You look at New York City, what's going on where they attack police. They want to fight police officers. Our criminals don't even do that so much, okay? I've never seen they're having fistfights with the police officers in the middle of the street. And we have to do something about it. These are tough people. Don't forget, they're not sending their finest. So, all right, Claudia, permit me to pitch one more to Leo. This is one more to Leo on the subject of the George Soros thing. Because, you know, President Trump, I mean, migrant crime may be even worse for the most part than homegrown crime. Okay. But again, Leo, the problem here is these Soros prosecutors littered throughout the country. One of the New York Post stories I saw, I think there was, at the high tide was about 70 of them. They don't want to prosecute any crime. It's like declaring New York a crime-free city because they won't prosecute anything. I'll tell you exactly why, Larry, because the progressive left, and let's be clear, the progressive left have hijacked the Democrat Party. That's why Joe Biden can't do anything without permission from the squad. But the progressive left wants to eliminate the criminal justice system. You, this is the truth tellers. Let me tell you something right now. You cannot have a civilized society without law and order. The Democrats, the progressive left, want to destroy the current criminal justice system. They do not believe in punishment. They do not believe in, in, in criminal charges. They want basically a prison-free society. It does not work. All right. Claudia, superstar. Um... Two things. What is Biden going to do? I, I'm reading he's going to change the asylum standards. So what? That's not going to stop 10,000 people a day from coming across the border. What do you think he's going to come up with, Claudia Tenney? Well, he's getting pressure because uh, the crime is on the rise and this migrant crime, illegal immigrant crime, I'd prefer to call it, is really a problem. And everyone's seeing it in plain sight now all over their TVs and the newspapers. It's, you can't not cover it because, look, the, the important thing that everyone needs to know here, and I, I'm so honored to be on with uh, a civil rights attorney and a famous one like Leo Terrell, this is not a partisan issue. Everyone, public safety, right, it's about human dignity. Everyone in the United States, all citizens have a right to be safe in their home and to, to increase the number of criminal acti amount of criminal activity we have and not to prosecute these people means we're prioritizing the criminals over the victims and everyone, it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter what gender you are, it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican, we have a right to be safe. And this is the human rights issue of our time right now, because the Democrats, as Leo uh, accurately pointed out, refuse to prosecute. They have some cockamamie idea that not prosecuting people and not holding them accountable is what's going to happen. But Biden's not going to do anything. He's not enforcing our laws already. Neither, neither is Terry Mayorkas, which is why he was impeached. The laws are clear and they're refusing to do that. And George Soros, well, it's now $50 million he has put in to elect far left prosecutors to not uphold our law. And they have been challenging Democrats, Larry. This isn't just Republicans yeah. and Democrats. Yeah. Soros has gone after Democrat prosecutors who aren't uh, weak on crime. He's but trying to replace them. I, I think, the, you know, what I'm hearing, I mean, the migrant crime is going to continue and the George Soros Democratic Party soft on crime is going to continue. Nothing's going to change. 
They're building up State of the Union, uh, trying to get everyone to anticipate somehow we're going to solve the uh, illegal immigration catastrophe and somehow we're going to have better public safety. It's not true. Nothing's going to change. What will change, and I run out of time to both of you, what's going to change is a change in the White House and a change in the Congress. That's the only thing that's going to change this stuff. Leo Terrell, thank you for coming on. We hope you'll come back. And Claudia Tenney, as always, superstar. Appreciate it very much. Folks, Joe Biden thinks climate is more dangerous than nuclear bombs. All right, that's our next topic. We'll talk about it with the super panel, Liz Peek, Baita Ungar Sargon, and Caroline Downey. Right, climate change is worse than nuclear bombs. I don't think so, but I'm just cuddling. But we will be back. All right, we got a great political panel. We got a couple of doozies to kick over. Joining us here is Liz Peek, syndicated columnist, Fox News contributor, Caroline Downey, politics reporter at National Review, and Batya Angar Sargon, author of Second Class How the Elites Betrayed America's Working Men and Women and Continue to Do So. That's my editorial. Okay, here's a world of dumb things. Here's Joe Biden. Quote This is the last existential threat. It is climate. We have a crazy SOB like that guy Putin and others, and we always have to worry about a nuclear conflict, but the existential threat to humanity is climate. Okay, end quote, sorry. Um, Let's peek. Let me get this right. Climate is more of a threat than nuclear bombs? Well, I think it delivers more votes. That's how I would look at this, Larry. I mean, who's, <laughs> you know, seriously, where is the anti-nuclear bomb lobby or cohort of voters that can help out Joe Biden in November doesn't exist. So I think climate is much more important to. But he's running uh, away from climate, too. I know. I, yeah. Well, he's, afraid, yes. he's afraid to use the initials EV. You wrote about it. Right. Right. That's because, gosh, guess what? He's in trouble in Michigan. Why is he in trouble in Michigan? Because EVs will cost jobs because China this is really something everyone should be paying attention to, is poised to really flood our market with cheap EVs. That's, that could honestly be the end of Detroit as we know it, because these companies have spent hundreds of billions of dollars revving up at the government's insistence to supply consumers with a product that they don't want, which, by the way, is really the problem with top-down organizing uh, of an economy. It doesn't work. By the way, um, just for the heck of it, the Teamsters just gave 45 grand to the Republican National Committee. First wow. time in 20 years wow. they've given to the Republican National Committee. And the left-wing Teamster leadership is screaming that it's essentially an endorsement of Trump, which it may be, because the rank and file about EVs and yeah. other things. The rank and file, my suspicion is, worries more about nuclear bombs than electric vehicles or climate risk. But isn't that interesting? The Teamsters broke ranks from the Dems and they gave money to the RNC. What do you think of that, Caroline? I think it's very interesting I, that Biden capitulated on EVs right when it started to hurt him electorally. I mean, jobs were on the line. He couldn't afford to alienate states like Michigan, the bedrock of auto workers. And, and so he uh, kowtowed. But, you know, ultimately, Trump is the the man of the working the working class. You know, he is. That's he, right. He speaks to them. He resonates with them a, a lot more than Biden does. Biden tries to uh, balance this line of uh, being, you know, for the worker, but not. And uh, I think it's not authentic to most of them. And Bajia, I just want to I don't want to let this go, because I think it shows how loony Biden can be. 
to suggest that climate is more important than nuclear bombs or nuclear war. And here we are, by the way, on the outer edges of nuclear war threats in Europe, Ukraine and Russia and in the Middle East with those guys doing business with Iran. It was Biden's who have wanted to help Iran get a nuclear weapon. All right. So I just didn't want to let that pass because I think it's a remarkable statement that he makes. Absolutely. Climate change is a vanity moral that you have time to worry about yes. when you're not facing the existential threat of not having enough money to feed your children or not being able to pay rent. And I'm so glad, Larry, that you brought up the Teamsters. I think that is the biggest story this week. The Teamsters giving $45,000, maxing out their capacity mm -hmm. to give a donation to the RNC. If I'm the RNC, I'm out there celebrating this. You know who didn't bring this in? Nikki Haley. You know who didn't bring this in? Joe Biden. Donald Trump brought this in. They gave that donation weeks after the meeting between Sean exactly O'Brien right. and Donald Trump. And, and why is Trump getting all of these working class votes, uh, rank and file members of these unions? It's because he talks about the economy like a working class person. He doesn't talk about tax cuts. He talks about tariffs. He talks about immigration from an economic point of view. These people are stealing your jobs. He sounds more like a New Deal Democrat than Some, a Reaganite. Sometimes he talks about tax cuts. <laughs> in, in private with me, talks about tax cuts. We've worked things out in the past. But your point is well taken. It's the first Teamster RNC contribution since the year 2000, if I read the story right. I don't know where I read it. I think I might have seen it on Breitbart, but whatever. It's a very influential thing. All right, we've got some more. Um, Nikki Haley is, um, her last stand in South Carolina, she's down 25 points in real clear politics, wants Democratic support. It's, she's out there now. She's, I guess, given up on Republicans. I, I guess she's still a well, registered Republican. Well, it's an open primary. If, if you did, is this the quote? If you did not vote in the February 3rd Democratic primary, you are eligible to vote on February 24th. Your vote can make a difference. Please participate by voting for Nikki Haley and make your voice heard. I just wanted to read. That's yeah, the yeah, pitch yeah. being made by so her PAC to the, Democrats. There were only 113,000, I think, Democrats who voted in the Democrat primary, which was uncontested. So that isn't shocking. There, so that leaves about 350,000 who are eligible to vote for Nikki Haley. What I don't know, Larry, and, and I have not been able to find out, is whether all these polling uh, polls that show her down by 20 or 30 points include that possibility, or if they're just polling Republicans. Obviously, look, this is kind of it. This is a, a winner-take-all primary. Nikki Haley is going to be so far behind going into Super Tuesday. She has money to keep going, but at some point, um, you know, you've got to decide you're not going to win. Why is she doing that? I, what's the whole point of it? She's not... I mean, really, she's a Republican. I mean, she may not like to be a Republican now, but she is a Republican. You can't run from it. In other words, the logic, it's kind of a cheap thing to try to pull in South Carolina in the last couple of days. She's going to get clobbered unless every darn poll is wrong. It's certainly a last-ditch effort, yeah. Larry. I think if you're actively courting Democrats, it's probably the last dying breath of your campaign. But look, if she wants to siphon money away from the Democrats, that's less that can be deployed to target Trump. So... More power to you. More power to you. Um, I got last one. Batya, I've been saving this one up for you. I don't know if you saw the various stories around New York Post and so forth. The um, woke AI coming from Google. I mean, we were talking about the Vatican and other things on the set beforehand. I think we have some pictures. Of the, the, and this is like woke run wild with algorithms 
put together by Google. I don't understand it. Um, there are no white people anymore. The Pope is a female, not a male. Uh, George Washington was black. I mean, I don't want to get into racism here. I'm just getting into stupidity. At a certain point in time, you have to put your foot down and say to these Google people, you are too bloody woke for your own good, and you're going to wreck your business unless you change. So I have to read you a poem that Stephen L. Miller, who's um, an editor at The Spectator, he asked this woke Gemini AI to write yeah. a poem by Taylor Swift about Vice President Kamala Harris. Would you like to hear it, Larry? I have to hear it. <laughs> California sunshine, ambition in her eyes. Kamala Harris, rising with the morning skies. From Howard to the Senate, a trailblazer's stride, breaking barriers, shattering glass with each step inside. Now listen to what this same AI told him when he asked for a poem by Taylor Swift about Donald Trump. I can't even imagine. Oh, no. Listen to this. Oh, no. Yes? <laughs> Elections are a complex topic with fast-changing information. To make sure you have the latest and most accurate information, try a Google search, okay? I love it. So love it's it. stupid and it's woke, but it is so biased. Come on. Do we have to live with this forever now? Yeah, I'm afraid we do. Black and is they're white, white is black, male is female, female. I mean, really? So think about who's accuracy? feeding all the information in. This is really mm -hmm. a scary thing, Larry. All the historians and the political pundits and stuff that make our life miserable right now are going to make our life miserable in perpetuity by basically stuffing all these AI programs with inaccurate misrepresenting information. It is really horrifying. I'm glad I won't be around to see all of it. <laughs> yeah, well. Liz Peake, thank you. Back to you, Ungar Sargon, poetess, thank you very much. <laughs> and Caroline Downey of the Vatican, we appreciate all of your contributions. <laughs> of the Teamsters Union, I'm Kudlow. You've got another problem here. Our enemy, China, putting together a massive global cyber hacking operation. We're going to talk to Gordon Chang about it when Kudlow comes back. All right, our enemy, China, has put together a huge, massive global cyber hacking operation, okay? Especially aimed at America and our allies. Joining me now to talk about this threat, Gordon Chang, senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute, author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War. Gordon, welcome back. Good to see you. I just have, this is such a big story. Believe it or not, it was in the Washington Post today. Okay, kudos to them. But it's this iSoon company. They're based in Shanghai. They sell hacking services openly. They sell them to the Chinese Communist government. They sell them to the uh, People's Liberation Army and anybody else who is interested. They have different packages, you know, 25 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand. I mean, what do you know about this? Because this sounds like cyber hacking on an organized scale like we've never seen before. Well, that's certainly right, Larry, because no country other than China has had something this big. And, you know, it's not just Ministry of State Security, not just People's Liberation Army. It's also these private small groups. There's hundreds or thousands of them. And what we do about it is what President Trump did in 2018, which was he imposed the tariffs under Section 301 of the Trade Act of 1974. Those were remedies for the theft of U.S. intellectual property. You increase the tariff rates. Maybe we get somewhere. You know, this guy, um, Wu Haibo, who was the CEO, they call him Shutdown. His nickname is Shutdown. And he's in cahoots, as I said. What interested me about the article, and get your thought, is not only the government, the uh, Chinese Communist government, and presumably the uh, 
People's Liberation Army, but local police forces throughout China. So you've got a lot of entrepreneurship running their own book, and they're aiming at us. I mean, they specifically talk about Google and Microsoft in here, but they're aiming at us. Yes, what's really interesting about this report or these documents that were posted on the GitHub site is essentially even local police bureaus, private companies, very small contracts have been looking at foreign sources. They had that one spreadsheet that had 80 foreign targets on it. And, and really a lot of this was just sort of freelancing stuff where a company decides it wants to target a particular user. But when you put all of this together, because Isoon was just one of many, many, many companies, it means that this uh, hacking is extensive, it's across China, and it's hard to deal with. Gordon, let me just ask one other. It's unrelated, but it's related. We have seen record numbers of Chinese coming across the southern border. In fact, it's the second, uh, Bill Malugin's piece this morning, it's the second biggest group coming across the border, Chinese. And they're usually young males, well-scrubbed, relatively well-scrubbed with suitcases and so forth. I mean, it looks organized to me. And I see stuff like that. You know, I think of Chinese subversion. I think of the People's Liberation Army. I think a lot of thoughts that are not good thoughts. Yeah, and you should because... We have seen since the end of January these videos and images of recent Chinese migrants in the U.S. less than three weeks who have actually been taking target practice. Now, these are people who came across our border with no money, no identification, and they're using sniper, pistols, sniper yeah. rifles and pistols, sharpening their skills to kill their neighbors. We've got to be extremely concerned about that, Larry. Thank you, Gordon Chang. Talk more about this. I'll be back with well, I tell you, migrant crime is bad enough, but the Soros soft on crime prosecutors makes it even worse if that's possible. And it is time for a change in America. And it is. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.